Thank you. Thanks, Christine. Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, as your word is about to be proclaimed and received, we ask for your presence here to guide us and to teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, the story of Mar Mary and Martha, I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful story of an encounter with Jesus, the form of encountering Jesus that's uh, often uh, neglected and not uh, highlighted, especially in our, uh, in our time, in our culture. There are obviously many different ways of encountering Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, there, there are uh, people in different conditions in life, different situations, and all of them encounter Jesus in a different way. But I like the story of Mary and Martha because it, it, it most resembles what the average person who shows up at a church on a hot summer Sunday morning would be, right? We all know Jesus. We all know him in, in some way. We all welcome him into our house. We want a fellowship with him. We're all, by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, in his presence in some way. But also, like Mary and Martha, some of us interact with him in a better way than others, right? And, and it's important to, to highlight what Jesus says. It's very Jesus, right? No shade on Martha, right? He, didn't, he doesn't say that she's, uh, she's wrong, she's sinful. She just says that uh, her sister chose what's better, what could not be taken away. So what was that, the better option? What can we learn from Mary that can help us, right? Choose what's better as we, we too are in the presence of, of Christ. What did Mary do in this situation? You have to stick with me here because it's very, very counterintuitive. Mary followed the crowd and did nothing. That was, that's what was better. Jesus said, doing what everybody else was doing and doing nothing, essentially, just sitting there. That was better than being busy preparing feast. And it's counterintuitive because in our hyper-individualistic, performance-driven society, right, we have an individualistic, performance-driven Christianity that comes out of this culture. And, and we judge. We live in a society that literally judges people. We judge individuals based on what they can contribute to the group rather than viewing the greatness of the group, right? If you, if you don't bring anything good to the group, right, you're worthless in this society. But in this instance, Jesus is highlighting somebody who followed the crowd and did nothing. Because we're told Jesus was walking along with his disciples, so there was a crew, there was a group. They're walking along, there's nowhere else to go, there's no fast food joints they can eat, so Martha welcomes them to their house, and they, go, they all go in there and Jesus begins to talk. And as the host, Mary does what comes naturally. She starts preparing. She has to get everybody food. She wants to get everybody drinks. The whole time, Mary does what everybody else is doing. And she sits there doing nothing. And that, Jesus says, is better and cannot be taken away. If you think about our condition as, as human beings, right, it actually makes a lot of sense. Because in God's design of us as people, right, from creation, from Genesis, it was not good for men to be alone. 
if you look at us biologically and, and, uh, and sociologically, right, this is following the crowd, doing what everybody else is doing is actually something we need. We need other people around to know how to function as people, right? That's what socialization is. And when people are not socialized, there's a term, we call them sociopaths, right? They suffer from the lack of, of social interaction. If you look biologically of all of God's creation, of every creature that God has created, we are the only one in God's creation. Humans, people are the only one in God's creation who need other people to know how to be people, right? We all hear of stories of people, you know, taking tiger cubs and raising them as cat, and then when they get, they get big, they eat them, right? Because <laughs> a tiger is going to be a tiger, right? You can hatch a chicken. We've hatched, we used to live in a country. We hatched a chicken, you know, with a little fake, you know, incubator, that chicken, for the first few weeks, we didn't keep it long term, but so nothing but humans, but I guarantee you that chicken still acted like a chicken, right? That no, no qualms about being a chicken, even though it had no interaction with other of its species. Sadly, we've had uh, examples of neglected children, feral children, children who were born and neglected, had, had lack of no human interaction, and these children, when they're rescued, they, they need to be taught how to walk. They need to be taught how to eat, right? Their, their speech, part of a speech therapist's job is to teach people who don't know how to eat, how to, how to eat, how to chew food, right? The basics that we need to survive, we don't even get that unless other people are around to show us. And this is by God's design. God designed for us to need other people around. And if you look through the Bible, right, there are certain individual ex uh, experience encounters with Jesus that, that are highlighted. But for the great majority of people who encountered Jesus through the Gospels, they were just following the crowd. Most of them didn't know what they were following. Most of them didn't know what was going on. The times that people were alone were always the examples that Jesus had to rescue them. Right, the women at the well, the demon-possessed uh, guy in the, in the cage, right, that Jesus had to cast out in the legion of demons. These were people who were alone, and Jesus had to go rescue them. Their encounter with Jesus was one of, of very powerful and dramatic, transformative. But for the great majority of the people who, hang out, who met Jesus when he walked this earth, they were just following the crowd. Yet, American Christianity, the Christianity we've inherited in this country, has this very unnatural hyper-individualistic spirituality that, that looks little, like the encounters of, of many with Jesus. And, and it makes sense because nothing's truly American until it's been individualized and commercialized. Right? Spirituality in America is something, often something you do by yourself, and it's very expensive, right? meditating in your apartment with a $300 meditation cushion and $100 yoga pants, right? That's how we practice spirituality. And I just realized I should not have said that in Chelsea <laughs> as it came out of my mouth. I am in that, sorry, I'm new to New York, I don't know. <laughs> but again, no shade, everybody encounters Jesus in a different way. But right now, today, actually, the most common place you hear about meditation and mindfulness is in the workplace. 
Most Americans, if you're familiar with HR practices, meditation and mindfulness is huge, right? Which again, is a very American thing. You take Eastern spiritual practices and you embed it into corporate America to increase productivity, right? Which is, that's the only reason companies wanna want you to meditate, right? If you meditate, you, you're more productive. American Christianity, unfortunately, is, is no different, right? We take very deeply, deeply communal practices from, uh, from monastery, from monks, people who've devoted their lives to live together, to share life together, and we, we individualize it, we make it into Airbnb vacation packages. Even though the whole point, right, the whole gospel, the whole good news that we have to share of Christianity is that because Jesus came and died and resurrected for us, encountering him is now easy. When Jesus died, the veil at the temple tore, right? The veil was there to protect us. When that veil tore, God could come out. God was on the loose. God could be with us. No more rituals, no more sacrifices. It was easy for us to encounter Jesus because now, now that the, the, the veil is torn, he was everywhere and he was with us. As he said to the end of the age. So we need to be more like Mary. Follow the crowd and do nothing. And again, this extremely easy act is extremely difficult if you are raised with any version of American Christianity. And the first pushback, of course, is what if you follow the wrong crowd? How do we know which one is the right crowd? Well, if we had asked that question during Jesus' days, we definitely would have never encountered Jesus because he was definitely with the wrong crowd, right? Prostitutes, tax collectors, we were traitors to their nation, um, you know, lepers, right? You could, he was hanging out, not just morally and socially outcast, like medically, right? He was hanging out with the, the, the people with contagious diseases. He was definitely with the wrong crowd. But also, who are we to say? What's the right crowd and the wrong crowd? And are we willing to say that there are crowds so bad, so evil, that Christ cannot be present in their midst? Right? Are we saying that there's a crowd so bad and so wrong that they can keep God, Jesus, away from their midst? I'm not willing to say that because by the grace of God, I've been able to follow the crowd into places where people would definitely say that's the wrong crowd. I followed the crowd into Sing Sing, a maximum correctional uh, security prison, right? And I'm pretty sure I encountered Jesus there. And I didn't go to work. Other people were teaching. I went with those who, who were teaching. I just showed up because I figure one, I thought it would be nice because I've never been in the maximum security prison. And Sing Sing, for those of you who've been to Sing Sing, Sing Sing is, is every stereotype you think of, Sing Sing, a maximum security prison, Sing Sing is, is all of that and more, right? Sing Sing is, is hardcore. I showed up and some of my, my, uh, my closest friends today are people I, I've met in that, in that world. The way that Jesus is present in those, uh, those spaces that we often try to stay away from. It's, uh, it's amazing, right? And, and so for me, the, the most powerful encounters I've had with Jesus were always 
times when I follow the crowd. And, and to be honest, I wanted to be Martha in those situations because most of those situations are, are places of great pain and suffering. And you want to do something. Your instinct is want to do something. But by God's grace, I was useless in those situations uh, a few years ago. And, and it's important to be useless. We have to embrace our uselessness in these situations. Because if you think again of the gospel story, right? If Martha had just sat there and done nothing, if both Mary and Martha had sat there and done nothing, what would have happened when people got hungry and thirsty, right? I don't, we don't know, and I guess we'll never know, but the chapter right before this, right? This is Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter nine, 5,000 people follow Jesus into the, into the desert. They showed up uninvited, right? It says Jesus was going out, hanging out with his disciples. Five people showed up to hang out with him. Nobody packed a lunch and nobody went away hungry. So if Jesus could feed 5,000 people, he could have hosted a dinner party, right? They could have, if, if Martha had done nothing, they would have been okay that day, right? They, could, they would have been able to, to eat. And that, that's what we have to remember. Embrace your uselessness, embrace doing nothing because God is at work. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is around, he can take care of things. Uh, a, a few years ago when, um, when all the kids were getting separated at the border and put in cages, horrible time. I was in Virginia at that time, and, and at the peak right, of that, that crisis, a friend of mine, a pastor in, in Virginia, he calls me and he said, hey, there's a lady from Honduras here, and uh, she doesn't speak any English. My friend didn't speak any Spanish, so he said, can I put you on speakerphone so you can translate? And you know, we were in Charlottesville, Charlottesville is small, so I said, just tell me where you are, I'll show up, you know, it's, I'll, I'll be there in five minutes. So I get there, and there's this woman, with six kids. She was threatened by the gangs in Honduras. Her son had been beaten up. Her, her daughter, her 15-year-old daughter, threatened with uh, great uh, harm. A neighbor, kids, a neighbor's 10-year-old kid had already been assassinated. And she went to the police. She had multiple police reports. And by some miracle, she crossed the border. She left. She crossed the border. She was separated from her kids. She was put in those cages. But within a few hours, by some miracle, she was released with her kids, given a year to find, um, find legal help. And she ended up in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia. How, I, that's another miracle story. How she ended up in Charlottesville, why? Why Charlottesville? I don't know. But there she was. And I showed up utterly helpless. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a social worker. I never encountered, at that time, nobody knew what to do with, with any, any of this, uh, this crisis. And so I showed up to follow the crowd. I, I just showed up, I was just present in those places. We, you know, they, we found her a lawyer, they found her. They, they were only a handful, again, Charlotte is small, so they were only a handful of, of lawyers who could handle her, her type of cases. She was a, a Dominican woman, so she spoke perfect Spanish. She, she, they didn't even need me around to, to translate. I had nothing to contribute in this entire experience. Yet the, the first time I was there, the first time I went, as, uh, as we finished to, to help understand her needs and what, what was going on, uh, the, we, we offered to, to pray with the family. And this was a family that was, uh, the, that was Christian, right? They, they, were, they were hiding in the church in Honduras and the, the church took a special collection to help them, help them escape. So these kids were raised in the church. 
And as we pray, the little kids, right, began to pray. And during that time of prayer, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't listening to some kids pray. Instead, and that was the only time it ever happened to me, I was transported to the presence of the God these kids were praying to, right? And it's a very different experience, right? One, one that you, you have to experience to know what it's like to have this little, to hear these little kids' voices and to know that you're in the presence of a loving God who's listening to them and answering their prayers. As that happened, the miraculous thing is that more and more people came around and wanted to be around this family. All of us collectively, individually, all of us individually were useless. But collectively, all of us were somehow in the presence of God, in, in a presence that, in a real presence, where we were just watching the miracles of God every day in this family's life. Now, fair warning, if there's no happily ever after ending, it's not, everything is not great. Jesus, as we see in the gospel, tends to hang out with people who are suffering in people, places of great despair. And you are likely to be in those places when you, when you want to encounter Jesus. You're likely to be in places of great pain and, and suffering. But I want to say that it's worth it. I want to say that it's worth it to, to embrace our uselessness, to just follow the crowd and be present in these places. Because there is a, there is a, there is a reality, there is a, there is a powerfulness in, in rejecting this meritocratic, you know, performance-driven type of spirituality and just following the crowd, right? If you, if you grew up in, with a certain brand of Christianity, you're always being told to be Jesus, when in reality, our highest, I would dare say, our highest spiritual aspiration should be aspiring to be the crowd that listens to Jesus rather than trying to be Jesus all the time. What if that was the greatest way we could encounter him? To be the crowd that follows Jesus everywhere with no obligation, no pressure to perform, to be useful, but just to follow him, to do nothing before him, like Mary. We're all, like I said, in different places. Maybe this is God's call to you. Maybe this is something new. Maybe this is God's, Jesus' way of encountering you, of rescuing you from the, from the performance-driven Christianity. But I say try it. Trust that God is present in your lives right now. That whatever crowd you follow, that Christ is there and he will make himself real to you. He will, he will let you know that he's there, encountering you in powerful ways. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that, that by your grace, you are present here. 
that your reality is, uh, and, and the, the reality of your embrace is real, whether we feel it or not. We pray for the faith to, to understand it, to, to feel it, and for the faith to trust of your presence with us to the end of the age. In your name we pray.